This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. At work, I had this guy, every time people would see him, the first thing they start talking about this, then they say, he'll say, hey, first things first, how you doing, good morning. <laughs> you know, John and I was talking about that. You know, it's like, you just can't go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need this. God knows your needs before you even ask, but you know, is God a genie in the bottle or is he, we have a relationship where we could say, Lord, you're great. Almost every prayer you find in the Old Testament, the godly men and, and women in, in the scriptures that when before they pray, they would, they would first uh, give adoration to God. How do you start a conversation with people you see? Do you have a go-to greeting? Or do you just jump right into something you need or want? You more than likely start with some sort of, hey, how's it going, good to see you. You wouldn't walk up and start with, I need. So why start a conversation with God that way? Today, Pastor Eddie points out how every prayer in the Old Testament starts with a greeting of adoration for God. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of James chapter four. As he continues his message, drawing close to God. You know, as believers in Christ, we cannot be of the world and in Christ. We can't be double-minded. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul writes this, For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? Two different things. You see, when we draw near to God, He draws near to us, a transformation takes place. And what is He saying here at the end of verse 8? Cleansing. There's a cleansing, there's a, a washing, and it speaks of the uh, being cleansed inwardly and outwardly. And it's that, that combination we find consistent in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the cleansing and the washing is to be ceremonially cleansed, okay? We find that it's, it's to purify. In the Old Testament, the priest uh, had to be ceremonially cleansed before he administered any work of the Lord in the temple or for the people. A person, uh, uh, if, if a Jew were in contact with lep someone with leprosy or touched a corpse or contact somebody who was unclean or anything unclean, there's a whole list in the book of Leviticus. It's hard to keep up. And they were unclean, so they had to be ceremonially clean. Or if someone wants to convert to Judaism in the Old Testament, they will have to be ceremonially clean. And, 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 and so here, we are called to uh, cleanse our hand. The hand speaks of our actions. It speaks of what we do outwardly. We need, that needs to be cleansed. And then we need to purify our hearts. And of course, the heart represents the motives, the desire inwardly. And if we start with that, you know, we know we won't you know, fulfill the things of the flesh, right? You remember as we studied last week, the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And so here, what is calling when this cleansing is actually uh, is called to, to repent of sin and return to God. And so when we yield in confession, when we yield and we forsake all sins, both outwardly and inwardly, uh, we stand right before God. 
And the good thing is that God does that for us. He does that for us. Now, we're cleansed from the very beginning. We're made righteous before God, so we repent of our sins, we're born again, but we continue on, don't we? God is calling his people, be holy, therefore, for I am holy. And that's hard. It's impossible without Christ. Without Christ, that is. But I, I don't know about you, but I fear the Lord in everything I do, whether, whether it's my thoughts, my actions, things that I'm, I'm not doing, things that I am doing. I want to live my life to honor and glorify God. So uh, when I do draw near to him, I could draw it closer and closer. He comes closer to me. But I, you know, I, want, I want to be pure before him. Psalms 24, verses 3 and 4 says, Who may ascend into the hills of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol or to other gods or to the world, nor sworn deceitfully. The Lord spoke to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16. Wash yourself, make yourself clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. God is calling us away from things that are evil. And we know these things, but the flesh is attracted to it. If we need help in these areas for to, to be cleansed, you know, we can cry out to the Lord as we draw near to the Lord, right? We get closer to the Lord and the Lord speaks to us. You know, it's like I picture a child, a two-year-old, you know, Parent calls, the mother calls the, the child, the child runs, and the mother's excited, hugs the baby. Now, the, the two-year-old, the two-year-old actually is a, a mess, just got out of a, a mud pit. And as the mother's just hugging the child, just cleaning the child, we get closer to the Lord. God, you know, you know we, we know we want to be right with God. We want to be one with him. We want to be pure. We don't want to offend God uh, because, you know, we're being renewed day by day. But I love the psalm. The psalmist did the very, very, that very thing. In Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24, he writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Lord, search me. Come before the Lord, you know, in prayer. You know, I like to use the acronym ACTS, like the book of Acts. Adoration, A. You know, instead of going, you know, we, we go in prayer, Lord, I need this, I need that. Oh, you know, we, at work, I had this guy, every time people would see him, the first thing they start talking about this, and they say, he'll say, hey, first things first, how you doing, good morning. <laughs> you know, John and I was talking about that. You know, it's like, you just can't go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need this. God knows your needs before you even ask, but, you know, is God a genie in a bottle, or is he, we have a relationship, we could say, Lord, you're great. Almost every prayer you find in the Old Testament the godly men and, and women in, in the scriptures that when before they pray, they would, they would first uh, give adoration to God. C is for confession. We confess our sins. We confess our sins. And don't ever think you can get away a prayer without confessing sins, because if you do, then you, you're lying to yourself. <laughs> we all blow it. And the T is for thanksgiving, giving God thanks for all he's done. And then the S is for Supplication. That's the last thing, right? First, pray for the supplication of others. You find that when you have a heart and knowing that someone has needs and you pray for their needs, God will bless you. 
Because you're not just thinking about yourself. And then you pray for your supply. So we come to the Lord, and God sees all these things. And then look, look at the fifth obligation in verse 9. He says, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. James is no killjoy here. He's not saying that as believers in Christ, we need to walk around with long faces, with gloomy expressions. That's far from being a Christian. Read Philippians. The book of Philippians is the book of joy. And James is calling us to repentance, calling us to repent. And we see this repentance throughout the scriptures. The, the prophet Joel spoke to the children of Israel. He's in Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me. You turn, that's where we get the word repent. It means to turn around with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. James 2, he says, lament and mourn and weep. Your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And so why, James, why are you telling us to, to, be, to, to weep and mourn? Well, simply because of sin. It's sin. You see, sin is no laughing matter because sin kills. Sin separates man from God. And so he's telling us we need to get in this place where, hey, you know what? We need to mourn and weep because we sin. We offend God, not only for our sins, but the sin of others, the sin of the world. We shouldn't laugh. We shouldn't laugh at things. You shouldn't laugh at red jokes at work. You shouldn't laugh at the things that are happening in this world. You should be praying. And some things are extremely bizarre in the world we live in it today, but we shouldn't laugh. We should be, we should mourn and say, that's sad. When you see what happens in this world with the LGBT community and, and they're trying to indoctrinate our children and abortion, and you see things on YouTube and social media, and, and it's fun. No, it's not funny. It's sin. Sin kills. It's sin is the ultimate killer. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul writes, for the wages of sin is death. That's it. And Jesus gave this beatitude for us to have in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comfort. And it's not mourning because of a death. It's, it's mourning because of sin. You'll be comforted. Why? Because when we look at sin, yeah, we mourn. But guess what? We know that. What's the answer for sin? Christ. That's the comfort right there. That's the comfort. But those who do not repent, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 25, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Now that's real mourning, and you weep if you laugh. And so a genuine, a genuine sorrow of a believer in Christ for sin leads to repentance and, and, and leads others to repentance, right? And we, we realize, hey, this is something serious, not only for my life, but for those who are unsaved, our loved ones. And repentance leads to forgiveness. Forgiveness leads to true joy and reconciliation with God. Let's look at the sixth and final obligation. And it, cont and, and it contains both a, a command and a promise. It gives us a command and a promise. Let's look at verse 10. He said, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And that's the command. Here's the promise. And he will lift you up. The command is to humble yourself. And the promise, because it's the word of God, he will lift you up. I got another unknown writer. I wish I know them. But anyway, he said, for a tree to grow upward, it must strike its root deep downwards. So to a man, to be exalted, he must be deeply rooted in humility. We need to be humble. 
Humble means to be or to become low, to reduce to rank, character and status. And it's not, it's not a self put down. It has nothing to do with put down because it's not putting you as a whole person, but it's that pride that, that sometimes comes out of us, that needs to be adjusted. And only we can adjust that through the Holy Spirit. And it's a real genuine understanding that we are unworthy, we are lost in sin, we're lost without God. And that's what, that's, what, that's what it means to be humble. And Jesus gave this also in the Beatitude and he, when he talks about being poor in spirit, and which actually is the first one. In, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, not poor in finances. <laughs> Prosperity would love to chase that one up. Uh, but blessed are those who are poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Knowing that without the Lord, you can't do nothing. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We have to abide in him, right? And so to understand, if you think you're high and mighty spiritually, oh, you're not, you're not poor in spirit. And that's why when we look at the last chapter of Isaiah, uh, and even if you read Psalm 51, David's confession when after David committed murder and, and, and adultery, that was his, his apology. That's where he repented. He saw, Lord, created me a pure heart. And in Isaiah chapter, chapter 66, the very end, the Lord said, what can man give me? I've created everything. What can we give God? What can you give God that created you and everything around you? And God said, oh, this, this I shall look at him a broken and contrite spirit. That's a gift to God. That's a gift because you're giving yourself broken. Poor in spirit, Lord, restores us. That's humility. That's to humble ourselves. And we need to be like this every day. It's not, okay, all right, I humble myself. Now I'm exalted. This is where I stay. No, daily, daily, daily. And so when we truly, honestly humble ourselves, Humble ourselves down to the dust of the ground, to the feet of Christ. Then the promise, here's the promise, he will lift you up. And so the reality for a believer in Christ, the way up is down. The way up is down. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 12, he said, And whoever exalts himself will, not they might, they will be humble. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so the lowly one becomes lifted. First Peter chapter five, verse six. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he may exalt you in due time. Proverbs 21, 29, verse 23. A man's pride would bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. So saints, make no mistake about it. When we humble ourselves before God, you know, he will lift us up. But if you don't, God resists the proud. So that we saw a call to humility. We saw in verse 7 through 10, uh, James gave us a, a list of obligations in order to fulfill that, put that into practice. Now he's going to deal with the issue of judging one another in, in the body of Christ. And that's in verse 11 and 12. Do not judge a brother. Let's look at verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. We can go back to the lesson about the tongue, right? <laughs> the issue with the tongue, right? We can't control it. You know, man can control any wild beast in the planet, okay? But we can't control the tongue. 
We can't control the tongue. And so we need to be careful. Slandering one another, slandering others. You know what this, the word slander is diabolos, which we get the word diablo in Latin, in Spanish, right? It's, it's, it's wrong. Gossip is wrong. Uh, someone has suggested uh, three questions that we should ask before we in, in, indulge into criticizing or talking about someone. Three questions we need to ask when we talk about someone or anyone. Number one, what good does it do for your brother? What good would it do for your brother? That's number one. Number two, what good would it do for you? What good would it do to you? And ultimately, ultimately, because he knows all things and sees all things, right? How does it glorify God? Do not talk evil about anyone. Anyone. That should, you shouldn't be that person that spew things out about someone else. And, you know, we always try to get creative, right? And the way we talk, we're smooth talkers, and we kind of give a little hint. We give little hints. Oh, I know something about that person, but I don't want to say. Oh, I know what goes on there, but I don't want to say. Oh, I've been the behind the scenes. I don't want to say. And meanwhile, there's really nothing. There's really nothing. But here's the thing. It's not only those that are talking, but also those who are listening. You're enabling them. You're part of it. Your ears should not be a part of any gossip, any bad talking of anyone. I want my ears to be holy. If you're going to say something, keep it to yourself. You have an issue, but the Bible says, take, go to your brother. And if he doesn't, go to the leaders, right? That's the way we do it. You have an issue, you deal with that person. Don't talk about anyone else. So he said, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. In other words, in other words when we speak evil and judge another, a brother, sister in Christ, what we're really doing is we're speaking evil of the law. The law. That's what we're doing. What is, what is the law? What is he talking about? The law here. James is talking about the law of love. The law of love. We know. Yeah, they're like, how many commandments in the Bible? Like 613, right? But of all the laws, right? Which one is love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, meaning of all 613. And the second is just like it. It's not, it's not law number two. <laughs> it's the same. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, all the commandments of God is love. Hang the law and the prophets. So they were trying to trick Jesus. Jesus, he never went to rabbinical school that I know of. Right, Menachem? Well, let's ask him this question. Jesus, out of all the 613 commandments, which one's the greatest? Love God. Vertically, horizontally, your neighbor as yourself. You don't have to worry about the first four. You know, because we try to pick all these little laws and it's hard to follow each one. Simple. You love God. You won't break any laws in relation to sinning against God. If you love your neighbor, it's impossible for you to break any laws in relation to your neighbor. So it's love. This is what James tells us in James chapter 2, verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, and he's quoting Christ here, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. James already mentions this. 
The Apostle Paul uh, wrote to the church of Galatia, quoting Christ in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So do not speak evil of a brother or sister in Christ. For if and when you do speak evil about your neighbor in any way, you're being disobedient to God and you're judging the law of love. As a matter of fact, we're called to esteem one another better than ourselves, right? That's what we ought to do. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 said, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let us esteem others better than ourselves. And so, let's look at verse 12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Christ and Christ alone is the lawgiver. Christ and Christ alone can forgive and save. He can execute. He can destroy. So let us leave the judging to Christ. And so if you, if you judge a brother, you're putting yourself above the law. And this is, this is dangerous because we tend to think that we're above the law. We don't. We, don't, we got it down pat. We have this area in our lives that we are strong in, Right? Not realizing that we're weak in other areas, but we are strong in this area. If somebody commits a sin in this area, what will we do? Well, I'm a professional in that area. I'm good. That's easy for me. So, you know, you're sinning because I don't do this. Again, like they always say, sin, you know, doesn't look bad when you do it, but it looks bad when other people do it, right? But dude, there's, we all have weaknesses. And we, we start to judge, and we, what we do is we put ourselves in the place of God. And, and that's a dangerous thing. Now, so verse 12 is what we, where we're at, right? Uh, let's look. Well, this does deal with the area of judging. We're going to get into it in the next verse. But Christ gives us two kinds of judgment because you always tend to have people to say, hey, wait a minute. Don't judge me. You hear that a lot from people. Don't judge me. Now, we need to be careful in how we encourage others. You know, we, we like to be police officers, you know, and just be on patrol, see who's messing up and sinning against God. So we know the Bible. And so we want, we find that. But we need to be careful to share in love with others. So we don't speak negative about them, but we don't judge them either. It's not our place. So now we're judging the law, but we tend to judge others. But Jesus gives us two types of judgment. The first judgment he forbids, and that is a judgment unto condemnation. It is a judgment to say that you sin, and that sin's going to take you to hell. Or God's going to judge you for that at the very least. He's going to judge you for that. Aren't you glad you decided to join us today on Running the Race? We've learned some great truths about authentic and passionate confidence in God that transcends all the ugly sin in this world and our own selves. We pray that God's Word has touched your heart today and motivated you to continue in the good fight of faith. Running the Race is a radio ministry out of Calvary Chapel of Milford. If you're in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, Jessica has an invitation for you. We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again 
or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. Head over to runningtheraceradio.com to learn more about the church and hear more messages. Would you prayerfully consider donating to this ministry with your finances? Your giving of any size is appreciated more than we can say. If you're able and the Lord is leading you, you'll find a Give tab on our homepage, runningtheraceradio.com. As we're working hard to put the message of Jesus into as many ears as we can, we acknowledge that we can't do it alone. So please pray for open hearts to receive Jesus. Pastor Eddie has more to share with you, so make sure to come back again for more here on Running the Race.